We turn in God's word this evening to Job chapter 1. Job 1. We read this in connection with the text of the sermon, which is Ephesians 6, verse 14b, having on the breastplate of righteousness. I had originally selected to read Job 1 because it contains an example of a godly, pious man, righteous man, and his response to sufferings. But then as I was reading through, I was, through Job 1, I was struck as well that there's instruction here about the work of the devil and the power of the devil, how the devil even has access into God's presence, or at least at that time did, which fits with what we're going through here in Ephesians 6. The great enemy of the church is the devil. We put on armor to stand against the wiles of the devil. So as we read through this chapter, I encourage you to look not only for the godliness of Job, but also instruction about the work of the devil. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels and five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all, For, Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. 
And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose, and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired words. May God add His blessing upon the reading of His holy scriptures. The text that we consider this evening is Ephesians 6, verse 14, the second half. Stand therefore, last week we looked at the first part, having your loins skirt about with truth, and this, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand having on the breastplate of righteousness. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been looking at the warfare that God calls every one of you to be engaged in. We have seen the character of this warfare It is not a physical fight, but it is spiritual by nature. We have identified the enemy in this battle. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places, all of which is a description of the work and power of 
the devil. We have seen how vulnerable we are as we stand before this enemy. How if it were left up to ourselves to withstand the cunning, the power, the ruthlessness of this enemy, we would be consumed in a moment. But we see as well the tender love of our God who sends us forth into battle not as those who will be immediately killed on the forefront of the battle by the wicked one, but God sends us into battle with protection. We looked last week at the first piece of the Christian's armor, the girdle, belt of truth. Tonight, we look at the second piece listed out as the Christian's armor, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, a flat piece of armor made out of some sort of iron, Later on, steel. It would cover the chest area of a soldier. A soldier would have in his hand a shield. We'll get to that later on. That shield would go in front of him. But then as he was attacking the enemy, if the enemy would take his knife, his dagger, or his sword and try and reach around the shield, the chest area would be vulnerable then. And so the purpose of the breastplate was to protect organs that are necessary for life. The lungs, the heart, important arteries and veins. Organs that are vital for life. Tonight, God gives us to consider the spiritual breastplate of righteousness which protects the spiritual heart, the life of Jesus Christ. The breastplate of righteousness. First, we'll consider what is righteousness, the nature of righteousness. Second, we'll see its power And then third, consider its presence in your life. The nature, the power, the presence. We begin not by considering our own righteousness. That's what the breastplate is. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate that is righteousness We begin not by considering our own righteousness to determine what is this idea of righteousness. but We begin by looking at God and God's righteousness. We must begin by looking at what God's righteousness is for 
man by nature is unrighteous. If any one of you think that you can go out into battle and stand up against the wiles of the devil, protected by the breastplate of your own righteousness, immediately the devil will strike you through the heart with his darts intended to destroy. The Word of God makes abundantly clear that of ourselves we have no righteousness. Luke 17, verse 10. So likewise ye, Jesus says, when ye shall have done all those things that are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Romans three ten and 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. The righteousness of man provides no protection against the attacks of the devil, for man has no righteousness of himself. Man by nature has thoughts that are evil, and his best works are described in the Scriptures as being like filthy rags. And so we do not start with the righteousness, by understanding righteousness, by looking at man. And here we must be cautioned not even to permit ourselves to go in that direction of looking to man for the standard of righteousness. Are we not tempted to do that at times? We compare our actions to the actions of fellow man. And then if we conclude that our actions are better than the actions of fellow man, then we feel that we are pretty self-righteous. But even the fact that we gravitate toward comparing ourselves to other men as if they are the standard of righteousness reveals how unrighteous we are. For we take our eyes off of the standard of righteousness and look to evil men as the standard instead. God is the standard of righteousness. Righteousness, what is it? The Word itself almost explains explains itself to us. To be righteous is to be right. To be righteous is to be in accord, to be in harmony with that which is good and that which is upright. That's righteousness. Righteousness is perfect conformity unto the law of God. Righteousness is not to have a single deviation from the precepts that the Lord has given unto 
us. The righteous person does and is right. And such is the one simple spiritual being whom we call God. He is right and does right. Never once does He deviate. But who then determines what is right? What is good? Who is the one who is going to set the standard that the righteous person must abide by? And the answer to that as well is God. God both is the standard and God abides by the standard. And it is not selfish of God to be the standard and to abide by the standard, for God is the highest possible good. There is no one who is more pure. No one who is more perfect light. No one who is more holy than God Himself. And so God, according to His righteousness, is and abides by the own standard of good, which is Himself. To have the breastplate of righteousness in your life, beloved, is to have God in your life. Do you want this breastplate of righteousness? But then we may speak not only of the righteousness of God, but also of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. To speak of the righteousness of Christ is to speak of the gracious gift of God that He imparts unto His children prepared for us in Jesus Christ, whereby we are made Righteous. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the gracious gift of God given unto us His children, prepared for us in Jesus Christ, whereby we are made righteous. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. According to this verse, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, Jesus was made of God unto us, unto His children, to be righteousness. God appointed His Son to be righteousness for you. And so it was absolutely necessary then that Jesus Christ abide by that standard that the Father had set for Him. Never once could there be any deviation in the heart or the mind of Jesus to stray from that holy law of God. But all of His lifetime long, Jesus Christ and His ministry and His teaching 
and the miracles that He performed, Jesus Christ was in perfect harmony with the standard of God. Why? So that He could become your righteousness. So that He could lay down His life at the cross. Take your guilt upon Himself and take His righteousness and give it to you. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is what we describe as being imputed righteousness. It's righteousness that is credited to your and my account. It's because of this righteousness of Jesus Christ that as we stand in the holy courtroom of God, He looks upon us and He declares us to be innocent. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If one will have this breastplate of righteousness, which protects them from the wiles of the devil, he will have the righteousness of Jesus Christ in his life. Do you want this righteousness? But then we may go on to speak of our Righteousness. The righteousness of the children of God. There are righteous deeds performed by God-fearing men and women. Job being an example of such a man. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. This was God's own evaluation of Job. When Satan came into the presence of God and they were talking about Job, then God said, verse 8, Unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Now we must be very careful here in speaking of the righteousness of man. When we speak of the righteousness of man, we are not speaking of the righteousness by which God declares us to be innocent. This is not the basis of our justification or our forgiveness in the holy courtroom of God. When we speak of the righteous deeds that man performs, we acknowledge that by nature we would never perform these deeds. By nature, we are inclined unto all sorts of wickedness and evil. We confess as well that the strength of performing these deeds of righteousness is the strength of God Himself. As God fills you with His Holy Spirit and gives unto you then the power 
to perform these deeds of righteousness. We confess as well that we depend upon the Word of God to teach us how to perform these righteous deeds. Were it not for the commandments, the law of God, we would have no idea what the deeds of righteousness are that we must perform. But acknowledging this to be true, we still can and do confess that the regenerated child of God performs deeds of righteousness. Would that we all would be like Zacharias and Elizabeth, of whom the Scriptures say in Luke 1, verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Matthew 5, verse 20, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. In Romans 4, verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Righteousness, then, when we speak of the righteousness of man, is used synonymously with holiness. It is living a life of obedience unto God's law out of faith for the purpose of giving glory unto God. It is expressing unto God the gratitude for what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. It is living a life like Job a man that was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Do you want this breastplate in your life? There's power in the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 6 shows us that power. It's the power to stand. Stand, therefore, having on the breastplate of righteousness. I suppose we could make a a list, a long list of the ways that righteousness gives us the power to stand against the devil. You may go home and think of more ways in which which righteousness gives you that spiritual power to stand. But for now, we list out three ways in which righteousness gives unto us, God's children, 
the power to stand against the wicked one. First of all, righteousness has the power to give a quiet spirit and a conscience that is at peace with God. Is it not the case that oftentimes the fiercest battles that the Christian fights are not battles against those who are without, but it is that inner battle within one's heart and within one's soul. It's the battle against that the devil as he works within us, leading us to doubt, to be discouraged, to become downcast, to question whether God truly does love me, to question whether I truly am a child of the Father in heaven. It's the doubt that leads one to conclude that his or her sins are so great that there is no way that the grace of God could cover these sins. It's the guilt that makes one feel gross and dirty and ashamed. There are sins that are committed, public sins that are committed that bring not only upon the individual who has committed those sins that sense of shame, but it brings as well shame over all of those who are close to that individual. So that the family is filled with a sense of shame. And the congregation, and at times even the whole denomination, when the denomination falls into sin, the denomination is filled with a sense of shame over those sins. And then the devil who is cunning, who has methods, that's what that word wiles means. The wiles of the devil. The devil uses those opportunities then to come in and send forth his darts into your heart to have you believe that you must not be a child of God. I am too wicked, too gross, too perverse, to be counted among the elect. How great then is the power of righteousness. The righteousness of God through Jesus Christ as it drives away the devil and gives unto you that breastplate that protects the new man of Christ within you. Words of Jesus Christ given to the child of God, are so different than the words of the devil. The devil says, guilty, dirty, unworthy. But the words of Jesus Christ, holy, innocent, pure, because I have given you my own Righteousness. Second, what is the power of righteousness? Righteousness has this power, beloved, it gives unto one biblical, healthy 
self-esteem. Related to what we just said about having a quiet conscience, but it builds off of that. Previously, speaking about good and quiet conscience, we were speaking of us as we stand before God. What is God's verdict? God's judgment of me. But now as we speak of righteousness given the power of a healthy biblical self-esteem, we speak of ourselves as we stand in our own courtroom. As we evaluate ourselves. And how often is it not the case that as we evaluate our own selves, we conclude that we are unwanted, undesirable, perhaps even forgotten by others. It's especially young adults who can, and young people who can struggle with having proper biblical self-esteem. Different ways in which we can struggle with this. One can struggle with their physical appearance. Judge themselves not to be very attractive unto others. One can have low self-esteem in relationships. Feeling as if they are unwanted, unneeded, even a burden on others. One can have low self-esteem when it comes to their work, their secular vocation. It could be that they feel very poorly qualified for the work at hand, or they feel that they are being passed by while others are advancing in the workplace. And the the temptation in these situations is to respond sinfully. The temptation is to respond even by harming one's own self. When one has low self-esteem, then the devil comes in And the devil tempts that individual. Hurt yourself. It will make you feel better. Cut yourself. Deprive yourself of food. Eat too much food. And in various different ways, the devil attacks the one who has low self-esteem, tempting them to hurt vital parts of their own body. What is the breastplate that protects against such temptations? It's righteousness. That's the protection. The protection, young people and young adults, is not by changing your appearance, by making yourself to be more beautiful in your own judgment as you stand in front of the mirror. But the protection is the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Earthly beauty 
is fleeting. But true, inward, spiritual beauty endures. And it becomes all the more comely as it shines forth in a life adorned with good works. That's the power of righteousness. It gives one a biblical, healthy self-esteem. Third, what is the power of righteousness? Righteousness gives the power to resist evil influences in the lives of God's children. Consider with me especially now the influence of ungodly friends. Now, the devil delights to use ungodly friendships when you are unequally yoked with those who are not one in the faith with you. The devil uses those opportunities to try to lure the child of God away from the church. He does not do it immediately, but he does it incrementally, little bit by little bit, until at last you are so far away from Jesus Christ and so far away from the church of Jesus Christ that your conscience no longer bothers you that you skip church regularly on Sunday. That's the power of the devil working through ungodly influences in one's life. Again, the power of righteousness is this, that it grants one the ability to resist such temptation. And here we look especially at Job as as an example of the power of righteousness in his life. Job, the Word of God describes for us, was an upright and even a perfect man. And that doesn't mean that Job had no sin, no sins in his life. But that means overall that Job was a pious and godly man who was an example unto so many who came into contact with him. But then Job had stripped out of his life so many things that were dear unto him. His livelihood. His animals. His children. And then later on, in the next chapter, Job chapter 2, we read that Satan was given permission even to touch Job personally so that he lost his health. He's laying there in on the ground, scraping away the boils that covered his body. And there in Job's life, there was an ungodly influence. We're not saying necessarily that she was a wicked person, but at this moment in time, she was an ungodly influence. His wife. Job 2, verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Job said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. 
What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, did not Job sin with his lips? That's the power of righteousness. When everything else had been stripped out of his life, and his own bride tempted him to sin, Job did not permit evil to come off his lips. Do you have this righteousness in your life? Do you even want this righteousness in your life. Righteousness is naturally undesirable to man, for to be righteous is to live a life that is close to God. And God is holy. Many, even those who call themselves Christians, do not want practical implications of a life lived close to the Holy God. Cross-bearing is considered loathsome. They find the idea of accountability and discipleship to be frightening. They discover that the work of loving the neighbor who himself is fallen is a difficult work of daily self-denial. Many want nothing to do with the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. It is only because of Christ that righteousness is present in our lives. Christ wore that breastplate of righteousness and Christ wore it perfectly. Isaiah 59, verse 17, For He put on righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Righteousness protected Jesus Christ from the darts of the devil. Jesus Christ throughout His earthly ministry proceeded from one act of righteousness unto another act of righteousness. He condescended into this world in order that He might become righteousness for you and for me. And having fulfilled what was required of Him by the Father, having drank that cup, even to the bitter dregs thereof, Jesus Christ gave up His life at Calvary. 
in order that there might be imputed to the accounts of God's children His holiness, righteousness, and perfect satisfaction. And now Jesus Christ has been restored in righteousness to the glorious position at the right hand of the Father in heaven. May this righteousness of Jesus Christ be given unto you, surround you, and protect you from all evil. And when evil comes into your life, may you be given to know that the devil does not have access to your vital spiritual organs for protecting your regenerated heart is the righteousness of God Himself. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and God in heaven, we confess with Job, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thou art the great God. Thou art the God who cares for us, even as a father pities his children and cares for them. Fill us with thy Spirit. Protect us from all evil. Send us home with thy blessing. For Jesus' sake, amen.